Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. This evening we'll be taking a look back at all the big news stories that shaped the year. From the start of the devastating war in Ukraine, which sparked an energy and fuel crisis across Europe. Tragedies that rocked the nation, political turmoil at home and abroad, and even some sporting triumph. As always, you, the viewer, can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. has been a year of enormous news stories. War came to Europe. Inflation came to our pockets. We saw triumph and tragedy both at home and abroad. On our final show of the season, Kira Doherty takes you through some of the biggest moments of the year. The year began with Europe on edge. A huge Russian build-up on the Ukrainian border led to worries of a full-scale war and a diplomatic scramble. Uh, they're even moving blood now and blood supplies to the border as well. So these are not good signals. Uh, and so while we should not give up on, uh, uh, on diplomacy, we shouldn't be naive either. The diplomacy fails and in late February, Vladimir Putin makes his move pouring thousands of troops into Ukraine. The war is expected to be quick, but almost everyone underestimates Ukraine's resilience, pushing Russian troops away from Kyiv. What they find after the Russian retreat is chilling. I have seen mass graves. I have never seen so many dead bodies before. I have seen bodies of people with uh, hands tied behind their backs. Sometimes it was the families killed, and sometimes for people who died alone. The war creates a mass movement of refugees across Europe, and over the course of the year, more than 60,000 will arrive in Ireland alone, creating a huge logistical challenge for the government to find suitable accommodation. It also brings into question one of Ireland's longest standing global positions, its neutrality. I don't think we've ever been neutral at all. Um, never an actual neutral country. We're just pretenders. Um, we're, we're neutral frauds, basically. We, we pretend to be neutral. But there, there's no question that Ukraine has been seen as a, as a potential pawn in this game. And, and honestly, it feels at the moment like NATO is enjoying this just a little bit too much. Fallout from the war also hits our pockets. The price of petrol, diesel and foods shoot up and inflation levels not seen in decades, in part due to the fighting. It led to calls throughout the year for the government to help. We are going to see families who won't be able to afford to actually drive to work very, very soon. If this goes, we're currently at two euros a litre in most, most of the country. One euro of that is government taxes. Cost of living crisis brought people onto the streets with pressure on the government to act. 
We do know that you're bringing in those um, once-off payments and that, but the reality is what people do need to see is that certainty. Those people are getting payments in the coming weeks. Everybody on a core weekly social welfare payment is getting a double week and is also getting the Christmas bonus, which is a second double week. The housing crisis didn't go away throughout the year and coupled with inflation led to prices for owners and renters continuing to rise and the government's housing for all plan coming under scrutiny. Do you think we're in a well, state of emergency when it comes I, I to think, housing? I think what we've got, no, I don't. And why I say that to you is for many people it is an emergency. And I recognise that and I meet people every day of the week. I was with Peter McFerry Trust today. Uh, we're seeing really good work done on the ground. We have far too many people homeless. They're the first people I think about every morning when I get up as to how many people that we can exit from homelessness to permanent housing. Climate was never far away from the headlines, with the government's emissions targets in the spotlight, especially over how much the agriculture sector should be contributing. Turf became a burning topic during the summer, with plans to ban the sale of the fuel causing outrage in rural Ireland. In the last few days of the year, an historic swap over, with Fianna Fáil's Michael Martin handing over the reins to Fine Gael's Leo Varadkar. So that's why I don't really factor in polling. And I, I just say this to you, I think if governments allow themselves to be dictated to and influenced by every a poll every month, you never have good government. This government has done well. In October, tragedy struck in County Donegal. Ten people were killed and multiple injured in an explosion at an apple green in Chrysler, sending the community and the country into a period of grief. Over the next few days, uh, locals will be supporting their friends, their family, their neighbours, and um, it's going to be a very, very difficult few days. During the summer, Dublin Airport sees total chaos, with people queuing for hours and missing flights. It didn't work quite right at the weekend. We're going to look at why that was the case, but our own army is capable of taking care of business this weekend. In November, Ireland lost an icon as campaigner and activist Vicky Phelan passed away. Last three years, she was uh, the most loyal, courageous, inspirational person uh, I think I've ever met. In the UK, a monumental passing. Queen Elizabeth II dies after more than 70 years on the throne. The first and most appropriate thing is to express condolences to, to the family and, and to people in Britain, but also to unionists here in Ireland because uh, uh, they're going to feel her passing in a way much more acutely than, than some of us may do personally. And I think it's really important we acknowledge that, we recognise that and we respect that. The funeral happens in the middle of a year of political chaos in the UK. It begins with Boris Johnson, who was hit with scandal after scandal. You do get the impression that if he ever does leave Downing Street, he will be holding on to the door handles and the door frames and someone will be trying to prise him off. It doesn't quite get as far as that, but eventually the scandals become too much for Boris Johnson. Enter Liz Truss, who wins a summer-long contest with Conservative members. 40 days later, exit Liz Truss, her premiership falling apart after a disastrous mini-budget that caused the pound to crash. Rishi Sunak replaces her, becoming the UK's third Prime Minister in as many months. In the United States, a seismic moment. Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court's decision on abortion, is overturned. 
It leads to protests both on the streets and the ballot box, with Democrats using the issue to have a much better midterms than was expected. He may not be president, but Donald Trump was never far from the headlines. His Mar-a-Lago home raided by the FBI in the summer. By winter, he was back in familiar territory, announcing another run at the 2024 presidency. Elon Musk took over the social media giant. Twitter, his new term resulted in big changes to the site and layoffs around the world. If you're, you know, a police force and say there's an Amber Alert or something like that you're mm. trying to put out there, you know, if you have to pay for your blue tick, like regardless of the might say, well, we're not paying for a blue tick and that's fine. Or in places where you've got multiple police forces in a single state, which would be more relevant in this case, someone can just basically say, oh, we're you. And it's very easy to make it look like they are that person. And people get confused to, is this really a, a police yeah. issue? Is it not? Like the amount of theories I've had friends discussing with me over the course of the day alone from this, where there's so many ways in which this could turn into a dumpster fire, Claire, is yeah. just ridiculous. What a year. What a year. And it's, uh, it's not over. But joining me now here in studio to discuss all the big news stories of the year so far is Euronews Europe correspondent Shona Murray, broadcaster Keith Walsh, journalist Valerie Cox and executive editor with the Irish Daily Mail group, John Lee. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, well, we're going to start with what has been sort of the biggest news story globally of the year, um, Shona, um, and that is Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. Let's talk of, about the impact of that and I suppose the humanitarian crisis that followed. Like it's hard to believe, but this time last year we were discussing those Russian troops amassed on the border. Was there ever really a firm belief that they would go on to invade Ukraine? Yeah, I, I believe so. I really felt that they were going to because remember just days before the the attack, you know, you had the really development of that invasion or at least the, the amassing of troops. You had 100,000 troops for almost a year and then you had things like blood supplies, field hospitals, more troops moving in on the border. You had then intelligence from the United States saying that there was a, an attack inevitable. Now, speaking in Brussels at the time, I'd spoken to sources who felt that the US intelligence wasn't completely right, that it was slightly faulty, that perhaps the Americans were going too far in briefing in this way and that it was going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember Simon Coveney saying that. But remember, Putin had those troops there for some time. And what, what, what people also need to remember as well is during that period beforehand, there had been so many efforts by Biden, who met Putin in Geneva, at the United mm. Nations, NATO and, and Russia, at uh, the NATO-Russia Council, uh, Macron, uh, all of the EU leaders trying to speak to Putin. We saw the, the sight of that ridiculous uh, long table that Putin had. And the efforts were going nowhere. And even the overtures and the, um, the, sort of, uh, the, the meetings that NATO had had with Putin about what can we do to work together, they, they you know, came to nothing. Joseph Beret, the EU's high foreign policy chief, was humiliated when he went to Moscow. It was inevitable that this is what Putin was going to do. And remember the days before, Putin was basically saying Ukraine wasn't even a real country. So um, then it did happen, of course, in, in the most horrific yeah. way. Um, Kiev uh, started, the, the attack obviously started in Kiev, and everybody thought that Zelensky would be dead in a couple of days, but he wasn't. No, um, and huge uh, humanitarian fallout is what um, we all think of, really, Val, and how this yeah. has played out um, and impacted on everyone in Ukraine, and in turn, that people have come to seek shelter here. 
Um, and I know we reported from the Polish border at the time that was overwhelmed with people coming through the border, families separated, you know, um, mothers and children um, leaving, you know, fathers back to fight in the war. And Ireland opened its arms um, to welcome people. That's also been a challenge for this government, hasn't yeah. it? It's been an enormous challenge. And I think, you know, people are not giving the government credit for what they have done. Now, I mean, I would criticise the government for their ongoing housing problems, of course. But here they were landed with 70,000 refugees. Now, I've worked in refugee camps abroad. I've worked in the Greek camps most recently. And these people are so lucky just to escape with their lives. And they know this. They don't, I mean, most of them have lost their belongings and so on. And they're living, many, many of them, in huge tented camps. And some of them have been there for years. And I think we have to get this into our heads. Yes, we are providing accommodation and food and everything else, but it's not going to be perfect. It's a small country. And, you know, there are people out there who are professional complainers, if you like, and they want everything perfect. And it's causing a lot of unrest because we can't have perfection. We just have to strive for giving these people. Now, I'm not talking about the monitoring of children in showers and all that that came up in the last few days. Not that kind of thing. But we have to be honest with ourselves and say, look, you know, there isn't the accommodation. It's not the house you want. Mm. It's the house you need or the accommodation you need. And most of the Ukrainians want to go home anyway as soon as the war is over. They're not coming here permanently. But you see, the cost of living crisis has upset everybody mm -hmm. and has everybody thinking and, you know, what we're spending on this. And the, that warm welcome that the Ukrainians got in the beginning is not there now. People are beginning to get very tetchy about it. And of course, we've had quite an influx of economic migrants and we have been economic mm -hmm. migrants ourselves. There's no problem with that, but it doesn't help when you've got the whole lot together. Yeah, and it's a lot coming together in one it's year, huge. isn't it? Um, and a lot of that also sparked because of the war, and we'll get on to that in a little while. I'm talking about the cost of living crisis. Well, it's not it's not just fueled from from Ukraine. Um, it's a buildup of a number of things. But um, John, when we look at this, and I suppose how politically it's been handled, and the criticism over the management of the refugee situation that Roger O'Gorman's department is overwhelmed um, with the record numbers of people seeking refuge here, not just from Ukraine but from other countries too, as Val has mentioned. Um, do, do you think that there's a sense in government that they, they, you know, they haven't really got the strategy, it's not right yet, um, and that maybe that will be something that they'll have to work more on and come together maybe in a mo more cohesive way now in the new year? I was struck, um, I, I don't really connect the cost of living crisis as much to Ukraine, I think, as, as, as Micheál Martin did. Micheál Martin's speech in the doll, I was struck that he said he, he blamed us wholly on that. Now, let's cast our minds back. It was September, October 2021 when, they, when inflation began to um, speed up. The ECB were slow to tackle it. So it had started, but it's fair to say the, the war in Ukraine has turbocharged things. Um, I, again, I'm struck by what Val has said that, you know, you're not going to get it perfect. I think... When it comes to housing refugees, I always think back to the beginning of the war. I went to a press conference that Leo Varadkar was giving in Dublin Airport um, at the old terminal where the first refugees were, were, were arriving. And I asked him, well, with this surprise event, this shocking event, is this the opportunity where we can do something radical with the uh, housing crisis? And in that endearingly blunt way that he has, he said, well, if there was something 
radical we could have done with housing, we'd have done it already. So he was from the outside, outset admitting that our housing crisis was in, on one hand separate from the refugee crisis, but on the other hand it's not because all these unintended consequences from the lack of housing in Ireland, our inability to house refugees is just one of them. Uh, but that is not going to uh, speak to anyone in government. That is not going to stop us. And there is no legal, I think, facility where we can cap the number of refugees coming into this country. Mm. I think the, the vast majority of Irish people are cognizant of our history as migrants ourselves for whatever reason. And, and, and let's not forget, before we were economic migrants, we were forced out of the country for, due to a humanitarian yeah. disaster in the 1840s. So I think we will continue to take people into, 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 the, into the country until there is some sign of peace in, in the Ukraine. And, and yet, it doesn't Keith, seem to be there now. We, we have seen those protests outside, you know, uh, asylum cent centres and temporary accommodation that's been set up for people seeking refuge in this country. Do you think those protests are reflective of what maybe people think but don't necessarily say and that there is a small but very vo vocal group who are representing maybe what, 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 what many people think? Or, or is it more of a minority here that is actually, you know, has a pretty loud voice, both in terms of protests online and on the street? Yeah, I think there's a massive issue here with um, seeing things like Ireland is full trending. Uh, we saw it a couple of times in the last few months. Uh, Ireland is full trending on, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, look, I grew up in the 80s and, and my first... Um, idea of giving and looking after other people was live aid and I remember you know watching the television that day and I remember being like just absolutely so proud of Ireland because mm. of the money we gave and, and, and there was so much about Ireland gave so much money I, I don't know what it was maybe it was eight million on the day but it was like it was two pounds per person in the country like we were we were the best because you know we, we had the Cade Mila Falce we'd been there we knew what it was like the famine was only a, a while ago. Do you think ago. that generosity isn't there now? I think it no I do think it's still there I think the problem is that we are allowing the, the we are allowing a very small amount of people to make, they're making a lot of noise. They're very active on Twitter and, and they're, very, they're, they're very well organised. So they'll jump on something, they'll make a lot of noise. And the, the, the ma vast majority of Irish people, we kind of, kind of take a step back and we stay quiet. I think it's important that we make as much noise and we, we say that no, Ireland isn't full and you're very welcome here. But, but we tend to just allow the noisy mm -hmm. minority make the noise and not sort of stand up to them because we don't want the confrontation, which is right as well. But we need to start sort of talking and, 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 being, and making our, our uh, opinions heard. Interesting what Val had to say about this coming against the backdrop, I suppose, of a cost of living crisis and how um, people are struggling. And we've heard the stories of the food and having to make that choice between food and fuel and we've seen the queues and my colleague was just talking about the queues outside the GPO streaming right around onto Henry Street um, for, for, mm. for food um, and all of this is also obviously you know playing into it it's a very it's been a very difficult year and a very tough time for many people and um, that's something that's being felt not just here in Ireland Shona but at a European level as well mm. um, 
tell us, you know, what I suppose the flavour is from Europe about, you know, what's happening, especially the energy crisis, because mm -hmm. that's something that every every country and every government has had to grapple with. Well, in particular, the countries that are relying on Russian gas and oil, uh, the eastern countries that have that are still relying on Russian oil and will do, even though the oil embargo is taken, uh, will go into force next year, and also countries like Germany, as we know, that has relied heavily around forty five percent of its gas had come uh, from Russia. And that's reduced around eighty percent now. But the, the thing is that that cheap Russian gas will never be there again. So every country is suffering from the cost of living prices, in particular because of the rise of energy. And there is that uh, theme, heat or eat, uh, all across Europe because all governments are grappling with it. And so it's hugely problematic. And it does, of course, get people out in the streets because rightfully they're concerned about their futures. It is in some ways separate, though, to the Ukrainians coming because, you know, it's not the Ukrainians mm. who are coming to each country. It's not their fault. It's the fact that governments have relied too heavily on someone like Vladimir Putin, who for a decade has shown us exactly who he is. I mean, remember, uh, the refugee crisis has been ongoing for over a decade. It's not just Ukrainians, it's Syrians. And a lot of that is down to Vladimir Putin's policies in Syria, bombing Aleppo, places, countries across Europe that you know, uh, Russia is involved in that sends refugees towards Europe, that creates this fra fragmentation. But anyway, yeah, it's hugely problematic and it'll be ongoing for at least the next two years. I mean, Europe has its storage facilities full, mm -hmm. so it does have enough energy for this year, this winter, but it's next winter there's concerns about. And there's a hope that, you know, that can be resolved with, um, you know, greater supply and so on. But it is, it's hugely problematic. And again, other countries also are having those discussions around refugees, but a lot of it is also an infiltration by the far right who are using uh, this as an excuse as well. Um, just on, on, on the issue, I suppose, of where, how, how the government has handled all of this around the, the, the energy crisis, certainly. We've got these energy credits. It was a budget that was aimed to tackle a cost of living crisis, Val. Do you think yeah. the government succeeded in doing that, um, in helping people that was keeping pace with the hurt that people have been feeling in their pockets? Yeah, they did to some extent. But, you know, I think nobody really believed there was a cost of living crisis until the ESB bills and the oil bills started coming in and they realised these huge discrepancies. I mean, mine was used to be about 380 and it went to 660 overnight. Um, I know the government take 186 off that or whatever, but I think also we're not giving enough credit to families for coping. You know, we're making these sweeping statements all the time. Everybody's disadvantaged and, you know, the, the lower you are, financially speaking, the harder it's going to be. But what we don't think about is, you know, families, disadvantaged families and families with less money, they are so good at coping. They've been doing it for years. They've been rearing wonderful families on very, very little money. And for another echelon of society... But they've society, also been bearing the brunt of this oh, cost totally. of living crisis because it's not felt across, to, across not. the board. It's not, been, a crisis. Yeah. it's not a crisis for everyone. No. It's, you know, if you make a decision, we mightn't go out for dinner tonight. That's exactly it. That's not yeah. a crisis. You cut back it's on your very different whether you're, make, yeah. you're making a decision on whether and you can clothe your children and yeah. feed them. I think the government have started, but I think we need an awful lot more help in this regard. And I think we need a system where those who don't need the money, don't need the help, um, are weeded out. Um, they were able to do it with the COVID pandemic payments, for example. Mm. And I really would like to see that going to the most disadvantaged families. It would be a much fairer situation. Yeah, it certainly, Keith, put the spotlight on, on that this year, hasn't it? The, 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 the disadvantaged, um, you know, the people out there who are 
really struggling. And we'll talk about it a little bit more when we think about people who, you know, even the thousands who are queuing for food vouchers today mm, yeah. for Christmas. Mm. Um, and, and where we are in terms of equality in this country. Yeah, and I mean, it, it just seems that, uh, it, you know, we, 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 we kind of always pr prided ourselves on being a classless society, but it seems like, it, you know, there's a, there's a theme here, that homelessness, uh, you know, uh, the, the cost of living crisis, people not being able to uh, afford their heat or food, it's one or the other. And who are these people suffering? And like, you know, you wonder, like, are these people, are, are, are there certain people not worrying about these people and what way they vote? Do they not vote? Do they not count? Are they not part of society? Are they not important? So who's important? So who are we supposed to look after? Mm -hmm. So are we supposed to look after the wealthy? I think that as a country, we've always tried to look after the poor and, and you know, you know, give give shelter and have open doors and be good people. And and as I said before, the care be the fortune. And that just seems to have, mm. you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's us. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The people, I think it's policy from the government. You know, we mentioned COVID, like when COVID happened, we found a way to deal with that very quickly as a, when the government decided they want to do that. You could do that with homelessness. Yeah, you could do yeah. that with heating. You could do that with food. Just make the decision. Do, do you think it's as simple as that, John? Do you think there's a sense in government that there is that cohesion? There is that sense that we, we can do this. I mean, we, we do have, I mean, we had a record, I think, exchequer returns this year. Well, we do, we do another probably surprising um, um, spike in corporation tax, which is always kind of worrying because if you can't, when they can't explain exactly where it's coming from. But, you know, through some incredible times, we've maintained virtually full employment, which is, which, which is quite an achievement. I think the budget that was put together to, to deal as best they could with the cost of living crisis was extremely well received. I, I've probably been in Leinster House for... 15, 16 budgets, maybe more. And I, I would say that is the, probably the best received budget I covered. Now, whether it was, whether it was perfect or not, it's another, another um, day's work. You would also very, very, almost imperceptibly notice in the polls that Sinn Féin have somewhat, since that budget, uh, somewhat stalled. The, those great spikes in their increases in the, in the opinion polls for, much as they, for as much as they mean 
haven't continued to the latter end of the year. So, yes, the Although government... critics would say they've actually, what the government has been doing has been taking some of Sinn Féin's policies and using them in the likes of the budget in, in some of the, the key decisions yeah, they've made. they have. But crucially, I think, they didn't bow and, uh, to pressure to bring in price caps on, 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 um, on utility bills, which ultimately is what caused the, go the government of Liz Trust mm. in Britain to fall. So, they, yeah, they've taken some of their policies, but that is one policy that would have been, frankly, um, un unpayable for. So that wasn't done. Um, they're doing their best. And also, I would say one other thing in the opinion polls, the, the government parties are still about 15% um, ahead of where they need to be, which is unusual for a mid-table, a mid-term um, period for a government to okay. be at. And um, we have the switch over now, so we'll see how all of that uh, is received. Um, we've lots more coming up after the break. The winners and losers from the year that is. Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, my panel has stayed with me and we are turning our attention to the world of politics to find out who the winners and losers of this year are. John, I want to come to you on that. Uh, in terms of your, your, your winner in politics of the year, I was surprised at it. Tell us about who you've chosen. I let slip to why. Valerie there as well and she, she was more than surprised. So prepare for a bit of a reaction, viewers. Um, <laughs> I, it's a tough one to measure. There was the non-reshuffle at the weekend. So the only person who got some form of a boost uh, was Simon Harris, who was moved. So I give him my winner of the year. I, th I think I think Simon he's, Harris like, is. He's kept a pretty low profile in a in a relatively yeah. low profile ministerial position. And and perhaps one, uh, you know, if you were if you were looking into people in a devious way, I guess you could guess that um, Leo Varadkar may have put him in higher education to keep him out of trouble and keep him out of the leadership stakes. But it hasn't quite worked. There is a, there is a tendency in, in, in modern politics to um, not be able to interact with the new communication mediums and he is outstanding in that area. But let's go back, he's, he's been given justice, a high profile um, position. Those who would have doubted in the party that there was the warmest of relationships between mm. himself and uh, Leo Varadkar now would see that that is not the case. And I think Simon Harris is probably the leading challenger to Leo Varadkar should there be any mishaps so in the next two years. Your, but we don't foresee that. Keep your enemies Also in higher education, close, he... Giving he, him the justice gig temporarily. He cut um, um, student fees for the first time in many years. So that, in that Which lesser was, high profile... There was, there was huge pressure on him to do something he, around he that, so. I think, as we talk about uh, rents and everything else that are going to come into play now because survivor of the year you say, is, is Darrell O'Brien. You think he's clinging on by his fingertips at Cabinet <clears throat> Well, you know, and I, I would have maybe argued with um, Sean, uh, your producer, that, you know, I didn't want to be touting people as losers of the year, so it is survivor of the year. <laughs> if, people, spin. <laughs> if people were to be um, dropped from Cabinet on their performance, one could only look to the Department of Housing. And Darrell um, O'Brien has not performed well there. Um, you know, the main measures are uh, homelessness that's increased to 11,000, a record number. And house prices were, can only come down when there's enough supply. So clearly there isn't enough supply. Initially, my initial reading of Housing for All was that we were to have 33,000 
houses a year. We've actually a more humble limited target of 28,000. They will achieve that this year, but next year they won't get anywhere near their targets. <clears throat> and I cite Leo Bradker in an interview with me a couple of weeks ago for the, for the Mail on Sunday where he said that they won't. Um, yeah. Planning permissions in the last qu quarter were down 67% for, yeah, for apartments. It, the figures are not good there. Look, it's been the big story of the year, really, hasn't it? Um, you know, Val, when we think about the, the, the housing crisis, we also think about this, the rental crisis and the rents at an oh, all-time high and how chronic yeah. it is for people to try and actually get a home. And it is quite appalling because um, the government, the housing minister, they have made a total mess of it. And the one thing that really annoys me is the number of huge blocks of apartments that have been built and they've been bought by pension funds. And you see all these signs up saying to rent, never to buy, just to rent. Mm -hmm. And that is an appalling thing to do because most of those great big blocks in the city area, say, you know, within two, three miles of O'Connell Street, they have all been built by pension funds, are bought, bought by pension funds and built by them. But the thing about it is, you go along to buy an apartment and all of these places, you know, we say there's so many thousand being built, but they're off the market, you can't buy them. That's the most ridiculous situation. Yeah, I, I guess the, 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 the government says there is urgency around this. They do have strong ambition around this. Um, Keith, what's your take on it? I, I guess for young people who are looking, especially looking to buy, I mean, they can hardly afford the rent as it is if they can find a place to live. Um, and, and, and whether those ambitions that government have can actually keep pace with what's needed is another thing. It just doesn't seem to be the will to, to look after, um, you know, you see it in September when the students have to find accommodation and, and then, you know, it's, it's the, the slightly older people who are working and are earning money um, and they just can't find accommodation, they can't afford accommodation and they're just like, it goes back to like, where is the will in the government to, to solve this? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem um, and everybody can see that it's a big problem, but the will just isn't there and it, it's the same. It's the, the homelessness crisis. The, 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 so, so, so you have to kind of follow like the money that's the only um the only thing you can think of like what is behind this who, who are they looking after why are they looking after landlords who are these landlords and what are they afraid of who are they afraid of upsetting you know they've upset all these young people and uh, they're not they don't seem to be afraid to lose votes yeah. in one hand like it seems to be uh, they've thought about this. The government would say they are building like social and affordable housing that is but, being built. Um, the question is, is the is the right amount of it being built? Are there even, I suppose, builders, construction workers available? to build at the pace that's needed the as only, well. The only, the only houses I see are, are when politicians are on TikTok showing them around these new houses and saying these are available now to anybody who's on a, on a list. And you're like, well, there's 30 houses there yeah. somewhere uh, I, uh, that they're showing off yeah, on TikTok and I know, how great um, they are. I'm not sure the cost rental targets have have um, have been met for this year or the bill to rent. There's there's, there's one that affordable uh, housing they've hoped to get about 2,000 and, mm. and they're they're barely going to reach 1,000. That's, um, um, the you know, the. Michal Martin is on the record as saying, as we, we're saying we need 40,000 houses a year and we're going to get 28,000. We're going to get less probably next year. Again, I go back to, to Leo. At the outset, there was a decision not to go hell for leather, for instance, in, in refurbishing existing properties. That, there was all kinds of reasons cited for that. Bureaucracy is cited every reason. There just hasn't been that political will to tackle it thus far. That may change under Leo Baradkar. Yeah, and we did have Leo Fradka, though, putting his foot in it when he was saying, you know what, you think it's so bad to live here? Mm. Try living elsewhere. 
grass isn't always greener. There's the infamous comments he made this year. I think they are. It is greener, actually. I mean, a lot of people came back to him from their cosy houses and uh, cheap rented places in Berlin and, you know, the Middle East in America and, you know, in Europe. It's much easier to find a place. You have protected rent. You have long-term rent. You have various. Is that your experience? Well, in of Brussels, it? for example, you obviously you have a lot of professional people, but you have a lot of students. Mm. You have people on Erasmus who have very little money. People who are doing, you know, six months uh, internships, which we paid very little. Who can afford a decent one-bedroom apartment in a lovely part of, of the city centre? It's just it's it's really it's easy to spare when you look at Ireland because this has been ongoing for some time. And even if there isn't an ideological will from the government to try to support people to have access to affordable housing. They're big into their foreign direct investment and they've been calling for more FDI for decades now and haven't been able to fulfil uh, the needs of those people coming into the country. I remember when... Yeah, in terms of housing, I suppose, the, the housing people who are coming in and those who are uh, those who are working here as well, we hear it from teachers and we hear it from nurses, uh, healthcare, hospitality right across the board. Uh, it is a problem uh, that will go on well into 2023. Just to stick with people, I suppose, who've made a little bit of an impact this year, though, uh, Keith, your, your person is PJ Gallagher. Mm. As a mental health advocate and someone who came out and spoke about his own struggles. Mm. Yeah, I just think uh, PJ is amazing because um, I think that he speaks to um, a certain generation, especially of men, but also women, um, who would be reluctant to uh, talk honestly about how they're feeling on a given day. Um, and we know with mental health that if it's dealt with at the right time and, you know, appropriately, you know, if you had something off in the past, it can be dealt with because we all go through uh, tough times and we just need to be able to speak to somebody or feel like we can be honest and be vulnerable, which has been the buzzword of 2022. And PJ... A comedian, someone who entertains us in the morning on the radio, coming out and saying, actually, I was so bad that I had to go to St. Pat's. For him to say that and to be so honest about it, it just it's, it's, it's a sort of a living, breathing example of you just don't know what someone's going through. And actually, it's OK to say uh, that, 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 you're, that you're struggling with something. And I definitely think it's something with this generation of men that we're getting better at, but we have been, uh, historically, Irish men have been bad at telling people that we're struggling with something or we can't cope with yeah. something, you know, so it's good to see. Um, well, my person of the year was, uh, sadly, a name on everyone's lips um, this year, and it was Vicky Phelan who passed away, the cervical check campaigner, of course, had such an impact, didn't she, yeah. Val, on yeah. everyone. A household name, for taking on the system. Well, this and a was a huge advo yeah. advocate for women's health. Yeah, a huge advocate. And I mean, the point was she was sick herself. She was going through a lot of trauma and she still found time to battle the case for everybody else. You know, I mean, she was a wonderful woman because she not only looked after her family, but she was continuing her own health um, problems, trying to get uh, treatment abroad and so on. And yet she found time to make it a women's issue and to stand up to anybody who opposed her. And I think in one woman, she did so much um, for women. She'll never be forgotten. I mean, it was just a tremendous achievement. And there was a, there was a national outpouring of grief, um, rightly, at her, at her passing. And I think everyone felt it keenly, whether they had met, whether they yeah. had met Vicky Phelan and, and most of us hadn't or, or, or not. We felt we knew her, though, didn't we? Even though we'd never met her. Yeah. But the other person I wanted to mention was Brother Kevin Crowley. Um, he retired in August after, he was 87, 54 years after he founded the Capuchin Day Centre. And you know something, he founded it after 1969, I think it was. He saw some men in Dublin eating out of bins and he went for it and set it up and it became huge. But you know something, 
we talk about the cost of living crisis and everything, but the most basic need of all is to feed mm -hmm. people. And that is what he had been doing for 54 years. And it's not getting any better. I mean, as you said earlier, 3,000 food vouchers given out today. And there's something wrong with us as a society, as a country, when we're just not feeding our own. And I think he deserves enormous credit. He's somebody who's never going to go out of our minds either, you know? Yeah, it did incredible work over decades, really. It's outstanding. Um, let's talk UK politics now. I mean, the losers are very easy to pick <laughs> from this pile, I think, John. Liz Truss. 44 days in office, 6th of September till the 25th of October. Um, and during that, uh, I think, seven-week tenure, she had this disastrous mini-budget, of course, that brought the pound down, uh, said markets into shockwave, and also brought about this, this borrowing cost spiralling and, and a huge cost of living impact on people in Britain. Liz Truss is the obvious uh, fall woman. Uh, often the, uh, the villain is, uh, in politics is, is found to be the woman. But the real villain in the piece was Boris Johnson, let's not forget. You know, he, he had caused the Tories to fall into this morass where they, they rapidly had to turn to a new leader. She clearly was ill-prepared for the job. But th the mess had been created by Boris Johnson's misbehaviour over um, during COVID where he had, and it's, let's cast our mind, minds back, he broke the rules that he brought in. He then failed in the discipline and lack of discipline that he brought upon a number of people in his parliamentary party who had misbehaved. Liz Truss came in, she was left with a, um, an intractable problem that I think Fine Gael are going to find in the next two years, that if you've been in power for 12 years, you still have to, the, the, the word everyone, the buzzword in modern politics is change. You still have to present Come up with some form new. of change. Unfortunately, um, the change she brought was her being changed out of office. Yeah. But um, the Tories now are, are going hell for leather towards election defeat. And in some ways, Liz Truss was only a kind of a, a postscript to that collapse. The real villain in the piece was Boris Johnson, yeah. who was, who was I, not fit for the high office he, he yeah, attained. Three prime ministers in one year. And I think the letters lasted longer than Liz Truss <laughs> yeah. in the end. Um, but to talk about someone who really made headlines and, and stirred up the establishment, if you like, in the UK, Mick Lynch, Shona, was uh, one of your people of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's single-handedly the, the main opposition to the government in the UK, given his defence of workers' rights across the uh, UK, but also pointing to the inherent inequality and also the decline of the economy in the UK, which is brought about by Brexit, which is something, well, largely brought about by Brexit. It should that, be pointed out that Mick Lynch I know, did he campaign voted, for he Brexit. Did campaign for, I, vehemently. I, he did campaign for it and he's 100% wrong in everything he says when it comes to Brexit. And that's where he's let the workers down because when you look mm. at the type of Brexit that's mm. been chosen by this government, it's about deregulation that uh, targets workers' rights. So he's 100% wrong. He has this notion that the EU doesn't allow for nationalisation uh, and it won't allow for nationalisation of health systems and so on. But He's that aside, that. I mean, the Tories also voted, you know, in yeah, large also, part for I think Brexit. That, I, think I mean, Mick... you know, if you place that aside about him, expose what he's expressing, the, the anger and frustration um, that's felt by many workers in the UK. Actually, it's something that's, it's not, it's, it's clearly not just a UK problem when you look about the issues of burnout and, 
and, and worker yeah, it's, uh, it's, resentment here. It's particularly, though, I think acute in the UK, given uh, the fact that the, the British government is trying to stop uh, strikes, for example, for workers. And, um, you know, Mick Lynch probably should have known better when he was voting for Brexit to see who he was in bed with. When he was, when he was in, someone like him is in bed with someone like Nigel Farage and Boris mm. Johnson, he probably should have questioned himself. But he, ha- but he is at the same time for what he's doing for workers now, doing the right thing. And I think the Tory party are quite worried about him and and how potent he is. Um, We want to talk about one of of the losers of the year. And he's a man who is in the headlines right now in Britain for all the wrong reasons, Jeremy Clarkson. um, Oh, Val. He's an absolute disgrace. I mean, how dare he? He needs to be fired immediately from who wants to be a millionaire. I mean, Danny Baker was fired um, when he made comments about Meghan Markle's child uh, publicly. He was fired immediately from BBC um, Five Live, uh, Radio Five Live. But, um, you know, to do this, I mean, there is so much controversy about Harry and Meghan. And to be honest, you know, She was making a deal to become one of the richest women in the world, to have the status, the title, the jewels related to the queen, you know, a prince for a husband. But if you do that, then I think you've got to obey the rules as well in return, which she has. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. They just went after her in a disproportionate manner. Oh, I would agree with you that. so much racism. uh, What I would say is, though, whatever about Jeremy Clarkson, which was, I mean, he's calling for basically sexual violence against this woman. It's incredibly low and really dangerous. But the fact that the, the... the royal family haven't come out no to word from the palace yet. and yeah. in the way in a way it's actually supported everything they've put in that documentary as well but yeah, it's, the that idea is, that they, that that they really wouldn't come telling, out to support her at a time like that is really shocking yeah and mm. actually what it does i suppose is is certainly proving a point about what they're yeah. saying about a negative and and vitriolic press and then not feeling supported in that um we'll have to leave that there for now but lots more after the break um we're going to talk about argentina returning home to a hero's welcome after their World Cup final. Welcome back in some breaking news tonight. US President Joe Biden is preparing to welcome Ukrainian President President Vladimir Zelensky to the White House tomorrow. That's according to reports in the US media that just breaking uh, tonight. There will be more on that, no doubt, tomorrow. Uh, My panel are still here with me and we want to turn to sporting matters now and head over to the first Winter World Cup. And that was uh, uh, Qatar, obviously. And it was a World Cup, I suppose, Keith, that was fraught with controversy, uh, sporting highs and political lows, maybe as a way of of summing it up? Yeah, I mean, like at the start, it was, you know, we, we were totally focused on, on the political side of it. The fact that the, um, you know, the guitar, the guitar, the, that it was happening in that country at all, it should never have happened. You know, there was, uh, there was uh, all sorts of, um, you know, talks of bribes and stuff. And, um, you know, even Roy Keane was coming out and saying, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. He End of. There. But he was there. And, and then I suppose... You know, I mean, even me, I was like, am I going to watch it? Should I watch it? Should I support it or whatever? And then the football started and, you know, I have a 14-year-old son, so we totally got completely uh, sucked into the whole thing. And, you know, it's hard to remove the football from the politics, but we sort of managed to manoeuvre around it and witness one of the best uh, football tournaments uh, I've ever seen. Um, and, uh, and, and, And the best football final of any tournament and possibly the best football game I've ever witnessed 
Uh, it was incredible. Myself, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, and my son actually was 14, so it was the best World Cup final he's ever seen in his life. Did you do the maths? How many has he seen? <laughs> I don't even know if he Every knew it was on years. the last time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it really was. Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of a sporting spectacle, Val, at least it was it was highly entertaining. You had an issue it with was. a few of the refs. Yeah, I've never watched the World Cup before, but I did watch this one for various reasons, and I just thought the refs were an absolute disgrace. You only had to look at them crooked, and you got a yellow card. <laughs> and you know, it's meant to be a robust game. You Does that get not in happen, there. Though, like I'm a bit like you now. I'd watch the World Cup, but generally in the world of, of, of soccer, like that that tends to be what happens. This but is why but you it's get all wrong these weekend because I mean I played hockey. I know about decisions. this. But, you know, if somebody is trying to um, score a goal, they should be allowed to push a few people out of the way. I mean, that's the logic of a robust game. But instead of that, they were treating it like somebody had bumped into somebody on a bus, have a yellow card, and they spoiled a lot of good in play. Sport, that's but it's happened. not good enough. They spoiled a lot of good play. The yeah. Argentina game got a bit out of hand. The ref lost control of that. There was yeah. a lot of yellow cards in that, but Argentina won through in the end. So. Yeah, big scenes there. Um, uh, 36 years waiting to win that cup, and Argentinians, uh, I think they're welcoming back the team to Buenos Aires, so that, that that's a big deal. But isn't um, Beautiful that a, t a team like Argentina, who have won it before, not since '86, but like a big footballing country, and still being so like Messi, the greatest footballer in the, in, the, in the world now, definitely, still being so overcome and so happy and so joyous and not taken for granted. That was beautiful to see. Another as well, sporting you know? highlight, and we can't uh, forget it, is the Irish women's soccer squad making it to the World Brilliant. Cup finals. That was a real high, wasn't it, this year, Shona? Yeah, it was. It was great to see it. I mean, again, it, it got people involved in women's soccer for once. So I think there was so much attention given to them and rightly so. So I think that hopefully they will draw further, you know, people to start watching and engaging properly with women's soccer. That's what that would the hope would be. Yeah, that is definitely one to look forward to. And what about the men? We'll see how they do. Maybe we'll see in four years' yeah. time. Uh, my thanks to the panel tonight. That is it from us. And we will leave you tonight with a tribute to Terry Hall, lead singer of The Specials, who died yesterday. You'll be taking a short break until early January, but from all the late team here, good night and have a very happy Christmas.